My name is Heather Crowley. I do not work for the city, but I work for the county, and um, I have been um, collaborating with the city a great deal, uh, particularly with regard to a lot of the violence and activity that's been happening um, just due to the nature of the program that I run. So I'm happy to be here to help uh, facilitate this panel and discuss what's been going on and, and what is um, part of the plan for the future. So today's panel, of course, Mayor Soglin. We have Deputy Mayor Gloria Reyes, Dion Carruthers with the Community Development Division for the city, Zandra Hagberg from the Focused Interruption Coalition, Captain Jim Wheeler from the Police Department, and Jerome Dillard from the Focused Interruption Coalition. So what we're going to do this morning is I have two questions that we're going to present to the panelists, and then we're going to have some question and answer time after they have a chance to respond to those questions. And then we're going to break up in small groups, and I'm going to present some questions to the audience about neighborhoods, responses, things you'd like to see, and then we'll get back together again after that, and we'll have a few of the groups speak out to what they discussed in their small groups. So first... The first question, how has the city responded to the increased violence in our community this spring and summer? And we'll start with Mayor Soglin and move down the table. This will be my first and last uh, words on the subject uh, because I've got to circulate among all the groups here and I've already spoken about this. How is the city responding? So what we probably think about is violence on the street and physically what we're doing. If you come into the mayor's office and come down the hallway, there are two conference rooms that are kind of L-shaped and a connecting door between the two of them. One of those is my office, and the other one is a conference room that's used for meetings. This group, and what you've got up here is about one-third of the folks who would come into that second conference room. Sometimes it would be once a week. Sometimes it would be every few weeks. These are the folks who designed our response. And what I just want to talk about for a few minutes is the process and the folks who were engaged. They're the ones who did it in effect, behind closed doors. They sat there, they defined their, their objective, what their goals were, and then if you were to go into that room, and occasionally I would drop in, sometimes for two minutes, sometimes for ten minutes, and just plop down and, and just sit there and, and listen to their engagement. There were charts all over the room. It was like somebody was designing a bridge. Um, there was engagement from folks who work for the city, the county, most importantly, people who are citizens of this community. And what is important about the engagement and what they were involved in in terms of design is not just the specific assignment they had, which was to develop what was called the rapid response in terms of the shootings we were encountering. But what they developed was a system of thought and analysis, which I believe is going to be applicable way beyond the specific initial task. There are two main programs that are recognized in this country in terms of dealing with violence as a public health issue. One is referred to as the Cardiff model, and the other is referred to as the Cure Violence model. I've now had the opportunity to examine both of them. And very frankly, I find flaws in them. The Cure Violence model does have a data collection element, which I think is very important. But to get to the heart of it, I believe that the system, the response that was designed in 
how we show up after a shooting to work with the victim, the victim's family and friends, the witnesses, the witnesses' families and friends, is going to be applicable on a day-to-day basis without waiting for the shooting. In other words, it's what we ought to be out there doing on a day-to-day basis and is going to be more effective than these two nationally recognized programs, uh, the Cardiff model and the Cure Violence model. And that's why we're going to put in two staff positions in the public health budget next year to uh, start developing our own initiative. And that's why we're going to be putting in several hundred thousand dollars more on top of what we funded in 17 for 2018 to expand this. Um, I'm just very thankful uh, for the time and the effort that was put in, which dates back to last January or February, and is an ongoing uh, response, uh, which is working, I think, very successfully. So thank you to all of you. Gloria. So as the mayor uh, shared with you, um, as we started uh, spring, come February and March, um, we were seeing uh, rapidly the increase in shots fired in our city and um, up in homicides. So the mayor really wanted to come up with some rapid response strategies of how we are going to quickly uh, deal with the um, with this issue. Now, <clears throat> we had to challenge ourselves. So we, we brought the team together, um, Dane County. We brought in um, some people from the neighborhood, uh, Focused Interruption Coalition, Will Green, uh, and Anthony Cooper from uh, Nehemiah, and also partnered with uh, other city folks in, in the county. Uh, and we, it was a challenge for us to come up with something quickly. We, we really wanted to go towards long-term strategies. Uh, that's where we wanted to go to, education, employment, and so forth. But we realized that we needed to do something right away. Uh, so the group uh, discussed some of these uh, challenges and how we're going to respond uh, we ultimately, uh, we went through a strategic doing process, and we ultimately decided that under the assumption that there are a small portion of people in our community who are responsible for the majority of our crime. And we really wanted to wrap ourselves around those individuals and families, those individuals and families who were faced with trauma, who have uh, uh, who, who are who we see on a daily basis or who are on the peripheral of these uh, investigations um, and these shots fired. So um, that's ultimately how we wanted to do it. And then also um, work with them, boots on the ground, work with our, our current community organizations that the city and the county funds and wrap ourselves around them, as I as I mentioned. Um, so uh, boots on the ground. Uh, let's get at them before uh, the uh, the incident happens. Figure out what's going on in their families, and um, th- that was where we were going to go. Unfortunately, we were we were falling behind. We we the shots fired just kept kept coming. It was a challenge to keep up. Uh, we really wanted to be pre- preventative and proactive, uh, and that just wasn't happening. So what we did do was. After an incident happened, we responded uh, to the incident using our Focused Interruption Coalition uh, partners, partners and uh, city folks to figure out, after an incident happens, an attempt to interrupt any future violence. Uh, so that is what, uh, after numerous meetings, we met once a week. Uh, every Tuesday afternoon, we spent time together talking about the incidents that were happening, evaluating why they were happening, who was involved. Uh, and uh, there were a few incidents where we really were, uh, the Focused Interruption Coalition partnership was invaluable. They uh, were able to come in and interrupt uh, retaliation efforts that we know of, that we knew of that was happening. And um, <clears throat> so we did that, and we, uh, I, I, we also looked at, as we were moving through this work, we also figured out, as, as the mayor had discussed, is the public health um, perspective, right? We wanted to really look at long-term strategies, and public health just kept coming up. 
so um, that is what we are going to be doing in the future. And uh, it looks like Nancy is cutting me off, so I'm going to take it to Dion. And we will be addressing um, the future plans in our next question. No, you can go ahead. Um, part of my role uh, with the Community Development Division and also my uh, coworker Nancy Saiz um, on the rapid response team was to also give a lens for the um, um, from our department on how we um, help to put together proposals um, and um, funding for community outreach uh, for nonprofits and other agencies to apply for. Um, to help address these other needs because one organization cannot help with all these incidents. Um, so we also took this as an opportunity for us to um, get feedback and learn from this um, rapid response this summer um, as the mayor and, and um, common council has awarded some money to our department to come up with um, programming um, to come out this past summer and also this fall um, around peer support also youth and adult employment. And in this upcoming year, we have a community building engagement and also emerging opportunity grant funding uh, that we're putting together to help also put more resources out into the community through organizations to help address, um, from as the mayor mentioned earlier, employment, mental illness, um, um, housing, as, and et cetera. Um, we do also in our department, the community development, we, the city has also um, have other fundings um, in two targeted areas where they partner one uh, with Commonwealth on the southwest side, and it's called the Burn Grant, and that's um, kind of a partnership through the police department with Commonwealth. And then we have a north side called Safe and Thriving Grant that we um, is also running out of our office through um, two of my other coworkers, Mary O'Donnell and Allison Dungan. Um, they have a focus on the north side uh, where they've hired um, community uh, residents, seven they call uh, navigators that are working within the community. Um, both of these programs right now are currently in the planning stage. On um, the north side, Safe and Thriving, um, they were um, granted $750,000 to implement resources and programming in that area. So being a part of this rapid response and, and also having um, focus interruption, um, apply this summer and take $75,000 and use it towards um, the violence and crimes intervention and support of victims this summer is a learning process that the city was taking on. Also, it was helping myself and uh, my department and uh, community development help better put out better um, programs and also funding for programs to help the community. Thank you. Uh, for the focused interruption members, if you could just give a brief description, I think that would be help of the coalition and kind of who your members are and how you came together and then what role you've played um, this year in terms of helping with the violence. Absolutely. Am I on? Hello? Okay. Just there. It doesn't sound loud. Okay, here I am. Um, my name is Zandra. I'm with the Focused Interruption Coalition. I'm the Assistant Director. Um, Jerome Dillard is also part of the Focused Interruption Coalition. He is our Director of Reentry Services. Um, uh, Anthony Cooper, who is um, the Director of Reentry for Nehemiah, is our Executive Director. And we also have uh, six other members that provide uh, peer support. Um, we came about um, about two years ago. Uh, to drive the 15-point plan um, for the city of Madison. And um, one of the questions posed was, what were the things that needed to be addressed immediately? And that was the need for peer support. So you'll hear a lot about peer support and um, trauma, trauma-informed care. Uh, peer support is um, you, you cannot replicate experience with uh, textbooks. So... Um, the, um, the importance of uh, the message, as you uh, heard the mayor say earlier, is the person that delivers it. And so um, over the course of two years, we came together, the coalition was uh, formed, and um, our mission is to be the frontline interrupters of violence, racial disparities, mass incarcerations, and injustices primarily in impoverished communities. So 
um, anything dealing with those issues, we kind of try to be the forefront um, to uh, support and um, lead the injustices. Or not lead the injustices, but counteract them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, and in terms of our role, uh, we uh, were part of the uh, rapid response um, team, and um, uh, out of that uh, came the need for uh, crisis response. It was a collective idea among the entire team, and uh, Focused Interruption Coalition said that they would take on those. We already had the relationships in the community to kind of deal with the individuals. We are a grassroots organization, those boots on the ground, and um, having uh, the partnership with the Madison Police Department, the UW Hospital and Clinics, we have responded to um, every, for the most part, every shooting, uh, stabbing, and homicide that's happened over the summer. And um, for the first couple months, it was really, oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> For the first couple months, um, we were probably uh, responding to something uh, three times a week, to two to three times. And um, for the past month or so, it has um, definitely been effective. It has uh, calmed down. There's still some shots fired calls, but we don't respond to shot fires. It's really the purpose is to um, go and um, assist the victim and their families and try to interrupt that uh, the trauma and the effects of that violent incident will have on the families and victims. Thank you. Captain Wheeler. Hi, Captain Wheeler. I'm actually I'm command of the community outreach section. And my role on the violence prevention team was basically <laughs> to provide information or share information and also to um, be a liaison and facilitate tasks that needed to be done when we would have violence in the city. Uh, one thing that I pointed out when I joined the team, and I kind of made it clear to all the members, I said, this team, is this is the community, you know, attacking the violence. I'm just there, the lone police officer, to do what I just said, just to um, provide, um, share information, and also to um, try to facilitate tasks. But on a bigger scale, what the Madison Police Department did, we had our violence reduction initiative. And... What we did, we have three analysts that are able to look at our data. And like Deputy Mayor Reyes was saying, there's only a few people when you look at crime trends that really commit the greatest numbers of crimes. So when we look at our analysts, look at the data, there seemed to be a connection between certain people being at the same shooting situations all the time. So to us, that was a clue that maybe they're involved um, they may not have been the shooter, but they may have been associated with people who were the shooters. So we identified um, those individuals. We did extensive background checks, and we looked at, you know, whether we could arrest them on other charges. Um, we went out into the community, and we made contact even with those individuals to let them know that um, we know you're involved in this somehow. We may not be able to arrest you now, but please stop the violence. It's not good for the community. Um, as part of that also, we made contacts with many members of the community, um, handing out pamphlets. And I have some stats here um, of what we did. We did 60 operations within the city. Each one had an after-action report because they were required to list the activities that um, each operation uh, was conducted. We had 1,900 contacts. 900 pamphlets were distributed. We had 45 arrests, 36 citations. 87 uh, warnings, uh, attempted homicide, we made an arrest for that. Also made arrests for recklessly endangering safety, weapon offenses, armed robbery, multiple drug trafficking arrests, bail jumping, uh, drunk driving, and domestic abuse charges. Um, we are hopefully that, as you can see, that has calmed down the um, uh, violence. But I wouldn't just add, you know, we got to keep on top of this. And um, one thing I think we need is with this group coming out, that after the police come in and kind of calm things down a lot, we do need others to come behind us and, and to rebuild the neighborhood and to find those people who are going to be leaders in the neighborhood, um, give them, empower them, 
to actually, you know, be those leaders and just keep the violence down because it is a community, it is a community um, um, partnership um, that we really need. And the Focus Interruption Coalition, I can tell you right now, they have been very helpful. Um, there has been one incident that um, was probably our biggest incident was when um, we had um, four shootings, that, four shooting victims that went to the same hospital. And it got very tense uh, within the um, waiting room. And the um, Focus Interruption Coalition did a great job of basically calming things down as so that no one else would get hurt. So thank you. Thank you. Jerome, did you have more to add? Well, I'll just say something briefly here. First of all, I want to commend the city uh, for convening the rapid response team. It's something like I've never seen before here in Madison. When you have county, city, police, uh, nonprofits, faith-based, uh, grassroots organizations coming together to look, for look at solutions to a real issue that was firing out of control in our community a couple of months back. Um, being a member of the Focus Interruption Coalition and uh, being a responder to many of the incidents in the community, uh, I, I just felt that we're really on to something when we're welcomed by law enforcement, when we're recognized in the hospital, when we come in uh, to check on victims and, and how law enforcement engages us in the hospital and make sure that we will have access. Um, is something that's different. Uh, generally, uh, you can't cross those lines uh, when there's an investigation going on, but they've, they've really worked with us and, and really uh, made it very helpful for us to do what we do uh, in responding to these families. I, I, I realize more than anything that chronic stress and chronic traumas are real attributes to some of the things that, that individuals are acting out in our communities. And oftentimes, uh, we're working with a community that's distrusting uh, to people who do not look like them. Uh, I've had uh, bad experiences with uh, corrections, law enforcement, and, and uh, there's a roadblock there that says, I got to shut down when they come around. Uh, and I feel that peer support uh, uh, for individuals, because uh, the mayor couldn't have said it better when he said violence is a public health issue. Uh, what we're dealing with is chronic stress and chronic traumas uh, in certain communities. And it's going to take uh, uh, those who have overcome those traumas, uh, uh, those who have lived through those stressful situations and come out on the other end, to be able to reach in and reach out to these individuals and, and hold their hand and say, listen, this is, we can do this. And there's no doubt in my mind that uh, as a community, as a whole community, we can address the violence and, and, and really bring it down to nil, working together, but treating it as a health care issue. Thank you. So for the second part of this, um, you've already started to touch on this, but and I'm going to start with Dion for this question. What strategies is the city currently working on to decrease violence? As I kind of mentioned earlier, um, we've, we've put together right now, we're reviewing proposals on peer support, uh, what Mr. Diller was just um, referring to. Um, that is one start, and I, I touched a little bit on the um, Safe and Thriving, which is focused on the north side. And far as the, um, the other one with the burn grant, um, I'll have Justice speak a little bit on that uh, from Commonwealth on what they're doing as far as the southwest side when it comes to that. The north side is geared towards helping um, to prevent enhancing violence and crime on that, in that targeted area. That's a big focus. So they're bringing in other resources and expanding resources that are currently there to make sure we are uh, tapping into the households, not just youth and, uh, and adults, but the entire household. So I can refer that to Justice now if you want to talk about the Burn Grant.
out here some more. And uh, the focus right now is Southwest Sun. The focus that we got was probably a little bit bigger in the Berkeley area, but in general, we're looking at High Point Drive on the uh, west, the Allied Drive on the east, uh, El Mar, and Verona on the north south. Thank you. Gloria or Jim, did you have anything else from the city side that you wanted to share? Sure, just to, um, just to expand on what Mayor Paul Soglin mentioned as far as um, looking at uh, violence through a public health lens, we will have two positions uh, within public health. One will be a coordinator position that will coordinate our efforts, um, the rapid response efforts, and also all the other efforts that are happening in our community. And then the other, per the other individual will have, it will be a data analyst. Um, the idea there is to really look at the data, look at hospital data, look at fire data, um, look at police data, and bring it together and really just target our efforts, right? Um, have the data inform our work. And um, that's something what we'll be doing starting early uh, once those positions get started around February, March, hopefully. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think that's it. And a lot of just great opportunities out there. We are currently looking at a Bloomberg uh, grant uh, where uh, it's, you know, it's really, I, I think it, it's a great, good opportunity if the city is selected, uh, but it is dealing focused on just violence prevention. Uh, so we are looking at different options and all the great things that are happening out in our community. I think what uh, Mayor Paul Soglin has talked about is, you know, his placemaking um, proposal and really getting community involved and taking ownership of their neighborhoods. Uh, and that is what it's going to take to move us forward. I think law enforcement does play a critical role in this, but they cannot do this alone. And we really need our community and our community organizations and stakeholders to really step up on this and, and really get involved in their own neighborhoods. So that's what we see in the future. I'm a Excuse me, I'm going to follow up on what I was starting to say earlier, and uh, I've got a uh, few things in there. With the peer support, there's two models a part of that, and one is a, a crisis focus and the other one is a reentry. Um, so we're trying to address those needs as well as with working with uh, organizations with funding for those, um, which is from the age range of 16 to 35 years old. Um, so, and then, and I mentioned earlier, the community building engagement um, and the emerging opportunity uh, grants are going to be available this upcoming year. Those are also other fundings. The city is helping to work with organizations and nonprofits to address a lot of these needs that are uh, in certain communities. And those will be citywide, not just certain neighborhoods. As far as the police department is concerned, you know, every initiative must come to an end. I mean, you just can't sustain something um, like that. But we will continue to work, you know, with our with our partners um, within the community. Uh, we will still do the same things we do every day, you know, try to do as much as engagement as we can do. And, you know, one of the things that we'll be doing next is um, solidifying our relationship with um, Focus Interruption Rapid Response Team in order to, you know, just freshen it up a little bit, make it a little bit more solid so that we can um, sustain it more into the future. So now would be our time for questions, if the audience has questions. We have a few minutes. We're running a little behind, but I want to make sure that um, this important topic is heard and spoke to. Oh, yeah. If you could use the microphones. There's one right behind you. Chuck Colson won the Malcolm Baldridge Award and was presented with it at the Westminster Abbey in London. And Prince Charles asked him, what can be done about the youth crime? Chuck Colson says a very simple uh, answer. In the 30s and 40s and 50s, Sunday school attendance in London was extremely high. When Sunday school attendance went down, crime went up. I'm wondering if there's something I, uh, that we can do that is politically correct. There's a church, a synagogue, a mosque all over this city. Is there something we can do to get kids to Sunday school? Because I firmly believe that Sunday school, when kids are young, will cut our crime rate. I mean, I think uh, faith, our faith communities play a critical role in, um, in solving this issue. Uh, and we need to really engage them better. 
um, and, and there are many different ways other cities are, our faith communities are stepping up and, and um, being a part of this solution. So um, definitely I would be willing to, to talk to you about how we can um, include faith communities in this. Um, but it's been very successful in other cities, um, and I, I think we really need to go that route. It's very important, our African-American community and our Latino community, they play a critical role uh, in those cultures, so we definitely need to do that. Jerome? Well, uh, uh, great point that you brought, but I, I want to reflect back on something Amir said of, uh, about taking young men to Birmingham. And them, those, these young men seeing uh, African-American-ran owned businesses. I think part of the issue, uh, part of the problem that we're dealing with, not to say that the church don't play a vital role, but our kids aren't getting exposure. They're not getting exposure to different parts of the world, uh, uh, different communities, uh, occupations, or even African-American-owned businesses. And, and I, that was speaking to a young man who was caught up in the sparrows of selling drugs and everything and just uh, having a heart-to-heart -heart with this young man. That's something that he pointed out. We don't own nothing in our community. No gas stations, no stores, no nothing. What am I supposed to do? I got a, fe I got a felony at 17 when I couldn't go back to my mother's house to live because of that felony. And, uh, and so now it's survival. And I took that to heart, but I want to say that many of our kids don't even feel that they're part of America. Many of our children in, in the African-American community are being tagged with felonies at 17, 18 years old, losing the right to vote, being opt out of so many occupations uh, until it's narrowed down to uh, minimum wage, tough labor jobs, and we're saying, get your act together. Uh, criminologists and sociologists alike says when unemployment is up, crime goes up. When unemployment comes down, crime goes down. We need to get these young pe our young people prepared for living wage jobs uh, uh, that they can raise a family on like my folks did who worked in the steel mills and, and, and factories uh, uh, with no education, but were still able to earn a living wage, had benefits that we can go to the doctors and things. And I'm going to cut it short. I don't want to get too long with it. Thank you. If I could just piggyback on something uh, that Jerome said um, that really hits home with me, and that's the exposure part of it. And um, I command a unit called CORE, Community Outreach and Resource Education. And we deal with a lot of middle school kids. And some of the things that we do, we have a program called See It to Be It. And we take kids out in the middle school age groups to the airport, to hospitals, to MG&E, just to let them know that there's other things out there that you can be. You see it, you can be it. And we find that to see the kids, you know, with smiles on their faces going, I didn't know I could do this. Uh, you talk to a lot of kids today, they're just like this. They don't think there's anything out there in the world for them, like good-paying jobs or anything else that they can aspire to. So we need more of that, like Jerome was saying, uh, getting people exposed. So, you know, I'll put, make a plug for those in the community. You know, when they, people say, how can I help? I mean, if you have a business or something like that where you want kids to see it or expose kids to those types of things, you know, you can let us know. Captain Jim Wheeler, Community Outreach. I'm on the Internet. So um, that would be very helpful. <laughs> Thank you. Question over here. Mike on. So when you're looking at violence as a public health issue, which I think is a great approach, are we going to the younger ages and looking at child abuse and neglect? Because in so many counties, what they're finding is that kids that are in the JJ system had had two or three incidences with Child Protective Services 
I know that's a county service, but as a city and probably the bigger user of Dane County CPS, what are we doing to strengthen those families? And the CDC has a great publication, a technical guide on child abuse and neglect that includes that economic stressor that is happening in those households. Because if mom and dad are making a living wage, they're less likely to neglect their children. So what's the city doing at that younger age? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. I mean, I, I think the the benefit that we have is that our public health department is a city county department, uh, so we will have access to all that data, uh, and we definitely need to look into early childhood trauma and how that impacts an individual moving forward, and how do we really be preventative, and um, so uh, that that is something that we'll look at, we'll look into. I think the data will tell us that when we look at the data, we already know that. But I think the data will tell us that and figure out and guide us on where we need to go. Thank you. Anyone else? Well, I don't want to. Uh, thank you for your question because uh, uh, the, that is, those are facts that we're just starting to look at with the trauma-informed care in the last 10 years. But the ACEs are real. Adverse childhood experiences are real, and we need to get into that before they turn into traumas. Well, we can look at, we can say, spend more time with your kids and this and that, but when you're in chronic stress, just worrying about how the rent's going to be paid or what am I going to feed them tonight, uh, uh, that stress is transferable. We feel it. We see it. And, and so you're living in a household where uh, it's chronic. And if it goes unaddressed, it develops into traumas. And so uh, your point is right on the nail. It really is. And, and looking at it from a health care lens I, uh, with trauma-informed care and really looking at the ACEs of our children uh, can cut off some of the generational stuff that we're dealing with right now. We're dealing with generations of trauma, uh, uh, with individuals in certain communities. So I realize we have more people waiting to ask questions. Um, I also want to provide the audience time to get into small groups and start discussions about this. And our plan was to have the panelists um, be uh, present in the audience so they're able to answer questions and provide input when you do break up into small groups. So hopefully that will um, give you a chance to get your questions answered. So if people could break up into groups of five, and then I will share with you the questions we'd like you to address as a small group. Okay, so the four questions that we'd like you to address as a group. The first one is, what makes you feel part of your community? The second is, what barriers do you see that keep people from being part of the community? What can you or your neighbors do to address those barriers? And how can local government support residents in building stronger communities? So what you're seeing and experiencing in terms of strengths and barriers, and then how can the city help you? So if you could take about 10 minutes for each question, we're going to start sharing out about 1140, 11:45. And if there's one person that wants to take notes for each group, that'd be great. So it's good to see all this sharing happening. I really appreciate that. Uh, if we could start wrapping up the conversations and having one person from each group at the respective microphones so we can start sharing out some of the main points that you discussed. Also, there is an evaluation in your folder that if you could fill it out before you leave today, there are boxes at either exit that you can leave them in. And Ileana from the city also has a sign-up sheet. She'll be walking around to the different groups. If you'd like to uh, participate or do some follow-up around this conversation with the city, they'll be in contact with you.
So do we have a group that would like to start sharing out some of their information? Great. Do you mind going to the microphone? On? It is. If you could share your first name, please. Okay. My name is Jim Cortado. I'm the president of the Arbor Hills Neighborhood Association. Uh, our little group also uh, had uh, folks from other neighborhood associations as well. Do you want me to go through all the questions quickly? Whatever you'd like to highlight would be great. All right. Uh, we came up with a half dozen items for each uh, question, which we'll turn in to you. However, I would like to highlight a few of them. What makes your... Uh, feel part of the community and a lot of the recommendations or suggestions were that it involves either somebody reaching out to you or you reaching out to the community so you know your neighbors and are active in various activities. And we have a laundry list of those, most of them are the fairly obvious ones. Volunteering, being active, feeling safe and so on. Question number two, what barriers do you see uh, that keeps you from being a part of the community? Uh, lack of gathering space, uh, being shy, too busy, jobs, parenting, getting in the way, uh, being a transient. You're only going to live in the neighborhood for a year or two. Uh, remaining ignorant of your neighbors, lack of engagement. Okay. Number three, uh, what can you and your neighbors do to address these barriers? Uh, a lot of it's centered around having community-driven events. And the primary vehicle for driving that are neighborhood associations. Uh, but it essentially involves uh, causing people to be invited to participate in activities. And that builds uh, identity, relationships, and enhances communications. The fourth question, uh, how can local governments support residents in building stronger communities? Essentially four ideas. Engage with your uh, public officials, such as council members, and speak up at meetings. Number two, work with the police and economic development folks and fire departments so that you've got a working relationship Number three, um, have police and fire departments visit schools, uh, not when there's crime or, or crisis, but just to establish relationships uh, and trust uh, with the students. And number four, ask for specific help from your community. In, in ours, for example, we wanted more lights and cameras, and we got them. Okay. Thank you. Uh, do any of the panelists have any responses to some things that were addressed? No. Okay. Another group that would like to share out some of their ideas? Okay. I'll try not to touch on anything that was already mentioned, but a lot of things that make our, our group feel part of the community were activities within our community, such as, you know, ice cream socials or attending our neighborhood association meetings, uh, meeting when there's problems in the area to discuss ways to solve them, um, frequenting, frequenting our festivals and markets, uh, frequenting area establishments, meeting owners, getting to know them on a first-name basis, walking about the neighborhood, such as with your dog, to meet your neighbors. That's an excellent way to meet your neighbors. Um, having opportunities such as this to be able to participate with our city uh, planning and our alder blogs and outreach and interaction from all of our alders makes us all feel much more part of our community. And there's also many things that are free to everyone in our community that are open to everyone um, across all socioeconomic barriers, such as um, Old Book Botanical Gardens, the zoo. There's a lot of free music, and, and that makes everyone feel more part of a community. Some of the barriers... Um, would again be financial barriers to other things that people can't do, lack of transportation from outlying areas, lack of Internet access or computer skills, um, just the complexity of information sharing about what's available, available in our community, barriers for direct communication between citizens and city uh, administration, um, language barriers, lack of translation services, and then a lot of people are working many jobs and have children to raise, and they just have a lack of time to be involved in the community. What can we do to cross those barriers? Um, reaching out to others, our group felt very strongly about 
reaching out, hugging people, knowing your neighbors, knowing what's going on, being for, there for them when they need you, um, reaching across racial barriers if you have neighbors different from yourselves, make sure you reach out to them, volunteer within your community. How can local governments support residents? Um, a big, big one for our group was addressing mental health and trauma, which has already been brought up, and it sounds like we're already working on that, and we're grateful for that. But it would also be good to get the word out to perhaps um, part, form better partnerships. There's lots of groups out there, and maybe form a wider network um, and get the word out to everyone how to reach out in a time of crisis. Um, where can survivors go for trauma? Counseling in an emergency situation. Then we talked about having more after-school programs, teen centers, engaging our youth, all things we've already talked about today. Um, and create, again, I'll just have to say, creating more community awareness of the available emergency services such as mental health services. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing the barriers because I do think it's important to recognize that even today it's a privilege for all of us to be able to be here and that we have access to be able to come here and we don't have to work and we don't have to worry about child care and we know how to get downtown and we have transportation. So we're missing out, I think, on a big population, too, in the city that we need to, as neighbors, try and reach out to and make sure that they're included in the conversation also. So this is a good start. I'm representing the Latina group in the back. And um, what makes you feel part of the community? We had um, information about uh, someone coming to Madison and tapping into community services in order to get on her feet and to um, feel part of the community. So started with Centro Hispano, then got directed to the YWCA and got the housing and legal and just community information that was necessary. So those organizations are really helping. Um, also schools, um, whether you're working in the schools, whether you're working with employees of the schools as a parent, um, or whether you're just, you know, enjoying the camaraderie with other parents. Schools seem to be a big uniter. Uh, what barriers? Um, beyond the obvious of language, sometimes it's just implementation. Even though you've requested things to come in Spanish, you end up getting the voicemail in English. So it's just not executed properly. Um, some teachers go be above and beyond and try and work outside of the system and maybe send a special note tagged to the child's clothing instead of just using the email because they realize the parent isn't responding to the email, so they try something different. And that's really a good initiative of, of teachers. And also, um, people foreign-born, my husband is a perfect example, just doesn't understand how American schools work. And so you go to those parent meetings, and they're very quick, and West High, you're changing every 10 minutes. He was like, what's this? I'm, I'm out of here. And it's just, if you don't have that culture, we went to a private school in the other country. You just don't know where to start, and there's really no one that holds your hand. Um, what can you do to address the barriers? Um, never stop. Because there's always new people in the, in the pipeline. And so even though it didn't work this year, try it again next year. Even though only five new people came, do it again next year. Um, use radio. Use newspaper to get the message out. Nonprofit work is a great opportunity to involve people. Um, and the barriers, transportation is a big barrier, child care as well. And the last one, what can local governments do? Establish email groups. Sometimes people won't go and participate, but if they could be in a safety watch email group, maybe that's a way to, to get loop them in. The other is find community leaders. Um, I asked them what talents they had before they immigrated here. What were you doing in that other place? Did you run a business, or did you teach, or did you lead a group, or were you involved in politics? And then help them transfer those skills here locally. That's it. Thank you. Next group. Sure. Go ahead. I'm Irv Bendorf, and I've been in Madison since 1961. And our group, uh, in answering the question of how can neighbors get to know each other better, and I think one of the biggest things that's helped in Arbor Hills is next door. I would like to see the city put these signs you have these portable signs that you can put message boards on them, encouraging people to get on next door. We're uh, there are 10 or 20, 30 messages a week, Paul, on our next door. And some have said, well, 
there's been some arguments or something. I, don't know. I haven't seen that in Arbor Hills. Have you, Paul? So I would like to see, encourage the city to sponsor these signboards in every neighborhood around the city promoting next door. Thank you. Does everyone know what next door is? Okay. I didn't know what it is. So it's an online service for neighborhoods, so you can sign up for a certain neighborhood and then people can message um, if they choose to join the next door. It's you can get it as an app on your phone or computer. Um, oh go ahead. Lost dog, lost cat. There was a break-in. Yeah. All kinds of things. Yeah. Questions about where to find resources or if somebody's selling something in the neighborhood, things like that. Babysitters. What's that? Yes, free things on the curb. Yeah. Any other groups that would like to share out? Officer Anala. Hello? Okay. Um, so a lot of, some of the stuff was repeated, um, but we felt for what makes you feel a part of your community is the strong schools um, and then having those connections with institutions, um, meaning some of the community organizations, the library, schools, um, neighborhoods, that kind of thing, um, creating a strong network with those and kind of trying to influence each other with those. Um, some of the barriers... Um, pretty much what a lot of the other people said, but I think another population that got miss, miss, missed um, is people that have just been incarcerated and released from jail or have a criminal record. Um, a lot of those people, just because they've made a mistake or have been through their system, cannot get housing or jobs. They can only get a certain amount of job, uh, certain types of jobs. So um, I think being able to make a change in that, um, they can get a sense of pride if they can get housing, have a job where they can make a living instead of. Um, minimum wage like that, um, and then also just some of the psychological effects. Um, are they being accepted and things like that? Um, some of the other. Can't read my writing. Um, some of the other barriers is some of the the programs that we have may not be um, distributed appropriately, or some of the nonprofits may not um, be approached or may not approach people. And like more culturally aware, getting the message um, passed on to people who need it. Um, and then let's see what else. I don't know if I'm missing anything that you guys think. Um, some of the things that we can do to address some of these issues is being more culturally aware of the services and some of the barriers. Um, focus um, on the children. Um, become kind of encourage them to become more civically engaged, make them aware of some of um, the meetings that are going on and kind of start showing how they can help with the government. Um, and and um, what else? And then for, for the government, maybe there's some barriers in possible city government, just being more, being able to communicate more, um, not be as disconnected, engaged. Um, and then collaborate to work together, the city and school, doing things together. Um, and then just addressing the trauma for the kids, that's another thing that I um, think can be addressed because we do have a lot of issues, um, me being a neighborhood officer. Um, a lot of, I know we touched on it, but I think it's important to touch on it again that a lot of the people, children that are going through tough times are experiencing a lot of trauma. Their parents have. There's been... Um, some kids that have been going through have caused some problems and maybe get in trouble, but that if you look at their history, which I've done in, in um, some of the kids that I've had contact with, you can see that they've been through a lot of trauma and are not getting the um, help they need to process it, and I think that's why there's a lot of problems with that. So um, I think we're looking in the right direction, and I think, like, the Focus Interrupted Group, um, or Coalition, I'm sorry, um, I think... You know, we respond to shots fired and things like that, but I think what would be another great way to look at it is, and I, I know there's a lot of technicalities, but to have a group that if this, a child is going through something traumatic, not necessarily shots fired or domestics or, 
you know, just something a parent gets arrested for OWI, things like that, where people can get checked in on. I know we have, like, victim witness and things like that, but I think it would be cool to have members of the community to be able to do that, to show that not only the law, but, like, members of the community support you and can assist you in what you need. So that's my Thank you. And I appreciate our neighborhood officers and Officer Anala being here today to participate and really being sincere in her thoughts and conversation. So we have time for one more, and then we'll wrap up. So I'm not going to answer your questions particularly because you said something a few minutes ago that really meant something to me, and that is that we have a huge... A group of people that live in Madison that aren't here today and so this question to for me is more to our, our panelists who represent greater number of our absent neighbors what makes you feel part of our community please what what is it because we're answering from look at us white Madisonians, what is it, please tell us, what, what is it that makes you feel part of our community? Is there anything that we're doing right? Are any of these answers things that really mean something to you? And I mean, the, the, the gentleman that's sitting next to Gloria is, is particularly the person I would like to hear from because I think he is involved in the north side, which is where I live. Okay. And we have this segment of the north side that I feel are disconnected and they need help. And, and we need to get involved somehow to make it work. Well, for myself, um, I can't speak for everyone. I, am, I moved to Madison in 91, so I've been here a long time, originally from Chicago. Um, feeling part of the community for me is me getting myself involved. I, I've been working, and I also do a lot of volunteer work on my own, um, which gets me involved with working in the community. Um, I was a part of the group earlier over there, and, and um, I was telling them about my experience of being a part of my neighborhood. I really don't feel a part of my neighborhood because I'm getting my neighborhood association newsletters every month, um, but I'm not getting any face-to-face -face contact with anyone. And in that newsletter, they may have dates of events going on, but I'm not tracking that like that. And all of a sudden, I'll hear a festival or something going on in the park, or I get a knock on the door during the Christmas time. It's Santa Claus. I'm like, oh, I forgot I signed up for that. Um, so I don't feel like I'm not a part of it, but I don't feel like I'm a part of it. And I, like I said, I only speak for myself. Um, but I do put myself in other communities besides where I live, where I'm more known and, uh, and greeted on a regular basis all the time uh, because that's more my volunteer role. Or in my previous life before the city, I used to work in the school district um, where I was really rooted in that school and community of making sure there was a uh, connection, a communication with strong relationships building. Um, so, I'm, I, like I said, I, I can only speak for myself on that part of it, but it's really tough when you don't have access or the ability to really have someone talk to you to know more about you, and also they share about themselves to you so you can start a relationship to get to be a part of, of uh, your community. It has to be a two-way communication. It can't be one uh, a, a, a neighborhood association um Newsletter is only one way communicating. You know, you have to have more of a two-way. Um, I can co I come home and it's just sitting on my doorstep. There's no knock on the door, no ringing the bell or anything. So that's just one-way communication. So two-way communication has to be established in order to have a conversation with someone to know more about them, to make sure they feel a part of what's going on versus just getting the information. It all goes back to the festivals and the beautiful hotel gatherings. If mental health issues of Stephen Maddox, who did the largest massacre murder right now all over this nation, if that is addressed and if people were still living 
then you do direct mental health, then safety will be here, and safety will be in the schools, and safety will be, and people won't commit suicide massively, and then festivals in situations like this will happen. So if mental health issues are addressed in my family, and with my friends, and with I have all colors and all races, then all this other stuff can take place, because we keep having mass suicides, and then there's no safety for anyone. So I, I think I just want to add to that. I mean, I think for me, I, I um, was raised here. Um, uh, my parents were migrant farm workers. Uh, they worked in Watoma, Wisconsin, where I was born. We came here in the early 70s. I uh, grew up in the Darbo neighborhood, Kennedy Heights, Turex, lived on the low-income neighborhoods in Madison, and always feeling like an outsider, always. And I think it was intrinsically in, within me to really try to participate as I got older um, uh, to the injustices that were occurring um, in our communities and continue to uh, to occur in our communities. I think that, um, you know, it wasn't until I actually saw people who looked like me, teachers, um, African-American teachers, Latino um, counselors. There were barely any in our school district. And it wasn't until I saw professionals in, you know, those roles who looked like me where it really motivated me to do something different. Uh, that is the, the challenge of our kids is they don't see themselves as anything else but then what the world is telling them that they are. Uh, so I think it's important to have that and really, um, you know, have those culturally appropriate programs and, and really think about as you're sending people out into our communities that you are sending people and you are, you are advancing people to, uh, to go into the communities who look like the community. So I want to be able to honor other people um, to answer this question because I think it was a good question. I appreciate you asking that. Um, even though our time is up, if people are willing to stay, we can finish out in the last few minutes. So, Well, I'll, I'll tell you what made me feel like I was part of the community. Uh, I returned to this community in 1996 from Wisconsin State Prison. Um, in early 1997, someone knocked on my door. And in answering that call, uh, I, was, I met a, a gentleman who was trying to start a neighborhood association who uh, didn't take a lot of my time at that time, but we set up a, a, a coffee, uh, a coffee uh, gathering, and I, I really got a chance to know this man who did not look like me but had really, really great intentions. And having that one-on-one -on -one with him, made me feel that I could be a part of something that would uh, uh, be, have an impact in the community that I was living in, and that was the Burr Oaks uh, community. Uh, and so we started that association together. He said, you know, he, did not, he didn't want to do it alone, uh, and he wanted someone of color on there. And we had a very successful run at forming that uh, neighborhood association. Uh, it was a melting pot of many different races. And we got some things done there. And I really f realized that, you know, this is what I need as someone who has never experienced that, uh, who's never been a part of anything positive like that. And um, I just want to share that because it does take those one-on-ones. And it, it, it takes getting to know one another and knocking on doors um, it worked for for his purpose because he did get me. And if I could just add, if I could just add on to that, we really got to work on getting out of our comfort zones. I mean, in order to really make those changes, because you know, even within different businesses, groups, whatever, we seem to stay so enclosed and don't share information. We still, you know, we try to stay who we know and everything else like that. And it takes a lot to get out of your comfort zone, but, you know, those are the things that are really going to, I think, small things that are really going to move the community forward. So, Gloria, if you want to close this out. So I'll just um, close this out here. Um, so just wanted to share our next steps with the rapid response team. We will continue to meet on a weekly basis. Uh, we are looking now at long-term strategies on how to uh, reduce violence in our community. Uh, this was an opportunity for us to hear from you 
and we will continue this work. We are going to be engaging. Our next step is we're going to be going out to our communities and get really focused on our public safety conversations uh, and engaging our alders and participating in those in those conversations and get, getting feedback from you that will be part of our long-term strategies and our plan on how to reduce violence in the next five to ten years. So thank you all for being so sincere in your thoughts about this process. Um, I appreciate all of your feedback. Give yourselves a round of applause, please, because this is really important work. Uh, just a reminder to complete your evaluations if you haven't done so, and that there's also a sign-up sheet if you'd like to continue to be involved in the conversation. I think Nancy, if you haven't turned in your group notes, please turn them into Ileana or Nancy over on this side. <laughs>